Good morning. Welcome to Pause and Pray, where we take a little bit of time each week to delve into God's Word together. If you've been joining us for the last two weeks, you'll know that we're currently working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And you'll also know that it is a Gospel that is characterised by its speed, its energy and its pace. Things happen in Mark immediately, at once. Uh, those are sort of the key phrases that characterise this Gospel. Everything happens at a very great speed in Mark, and if you blink it is easy to miss the significance of a moment. It's no different with today's topic, the temptation of Christ, which Mark sums up in uh, two sentences. I'll read them to you now. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. So that's Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And it almost runs by so quick that it's easy to gloss over it, especially with the familiarity, I think, of the idea of 40 days and 40 nights temptation. It's very easy to miss the lesson that's there for us in this telling of uh, that episode of Christ's life. But I actually think there's a message in the haste for us, um, and the very swiftness with which Jesus rushes off into the wilderness, I think there's a lesson for us to learn. I heard somebody speak yesterday about Joe Biden, the new president, um, and about the importance in American politics of the first 100 days in office for any new president. Now that's sort of the time when everybody's watching and waiting to see how this new leader will do, and it ultimately decides public opinion uh, about this person. And it got me thinking that this episode that we're hearing about in Mark's Gospel today, that's sort of uh, Jesus's, it's the start of his leadership. It's the uh, start of his first 100 days. It's the inauguration, if you like. Uh, just a few verses previous to the ones we've heard this morning, John the Baptist has announced Jesus as the Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for. He's baptised him in front of crowds of people. And uh, he's said to the people there that this is the Lamb, the Saviour of the world that they've been waiting for. And a voice from heaven has confirmed Jesus as God's own Son, with whom he is well pleased. So it's a moment of great anticipation. You can always feel the bated breath of all these crowds looking at this man who they've been told is their Saviour, and who the voice of God himself seems to confirm. What will he do? <laughs> well, what does Jesus do? He sweeps off into the desert for uh, 40 days and 40 nights, not to be seen or heard of for over a month. If you did that now, you'd probably be forgotten about by the end of that month. I can't imagine it was any better back then, when there's no social media to give updates of you and keep you fresh in people's minds. Not even any media that we would recognise, no newspapers or radio or TV. You'd be forgotten about and some other guy would come along claiming he was the Messiah and that'd be the end of you. A disappointment as well, I think, that people must have felt in Jesus at that moment. They're there waiting for the, the Saviour, the person who's going to save them, a persecuted race, and usher in God's season of forgiveness. You know, he just turned up and he's already gone. <laughs> he hasn't performed any miracles or given any great speeches or gathered any armies against the Romans. He hasn't done any of the stuff that he was expected to. He's just up and left, and left them there waiting. And 
no one even knows if they'll ever see him again because like Mark tells us there's wild beasts out there that he's going to stay with there's lions and cheetahs and bears never mind all the poisonous snakes that are just waiting to bite an ankle in the dusty desert not to mention he doesn't seem to have taken any provisions with him there's no mention of Jesus first packing up a donkey with some water and food and blankets he just sets off immediately do something which objectively seems profoundly very scary, but also quite stupid and unfathomable. But I think that's the whole point in this gospel telling. That Jesus doesn't stop and think about what's best next for him. What, after a long journey and an emotional, scary day of leaving behind his home and his family and stepping up to the plate as John the Baptist's proclaimed Messiah, Something about what might best serve him after all of that. And, and nor does he look around at all the curious and admiring and no doubt awestruck people that have just witnessed his divinely approved baptism. He doesn't look at them and wonder, what do they want me to do next? What's the best thing I can do in their eyes next? How can I best please them? No, instead, Jesus does what the Spirit tells him to do, or drives him to do. And more than that, he does it immediately. I think there's something for us to witness and learn from in that speed. In the pace with which Jesus leaves behind the crowds and sets off into the desert, I really think there's a message for us in that. Because seldom does God ask us to do the easy and comfortable things. If they were things that we would do naturally, God would not need to tell us to do them. And whether it's giving away our money or our food to people that need it more, or telling the truth, or sharing our faith. When we feel that nudge from God, it's usually telling us to do the tricky stuff. And if you've ever done something like a bungee jump, or gone abseiling, or done anything that frightens you, you'll know the best way to do it is to do it fast. Do it immediately. Otherwise you'll talk yourself out of it. We rationalise, we backtrack, and we nudge ourselves further and further away from the ledge until we're back where we started. There's no chance of us doing the thing that frightens us anyway. And I think in some ways it's the same with following God's instructions. However God speaks to you, be it through the Spirit, or be it through when you read the Bible, or you hear a sermon, or you just pray. When you feel that urge in the name of God, often the best way to respond is immediately. And it doesn't mean to act in haste. Or to act unwisely. It doesn't mean to never talk things through first with the people that you trust and love. Or to pray. And to make yourself certain that this is God speaking in your life. But I think what it does mean is taking a step, however small, there and then, in obedience to God. It might be as big as giving your money away in that moment if you feel called to do so. It might simply be stopping in prayer and saying, yes, Lord, if this is you, if this is your will, then I'm obedient to it. And then moving on from there and seeing where the Spirit will take you next. I think the point is that when the Spirit, when God calls us to the wilderness, to the hard places, to do tough things in the name of God, we need to respond. Speak back to the Spirit before a human voice with all its fears and its uncertainties self-preservations drowns it out. 
if Jesus had stopped for a moment and talked himself out of listening to that urge from the Spirit? What if he'd turned away from the wilderness? What if he'd never submitted himself to 40 days of temptation and endurance? What if he'd given in to the human urge to play it safe, to put number one first? Would he have been our saviour? Would we have been redeemed through him? Would our hope and joy and union with God exist today? Or would Jesus, following that free will that God gives to all humanity, have pandered to the desires and vanities of the crowds following him and eventually just melted away into the obscurity of so many would-be leaders? We'll never know. I remember when I first came back to following Jesus after few years paying the uh, prodigal child. And during those years I'd done and said some bad things to people that I never should have done and said. After I'd said sorry to God and known his forgiveness, I was tentatively starting to set foot back into churches again. I heard the Lord's voice speak to me through our communion liturgy, saying that whoever of us has a grievance with our brother or sister needs to first go and make amends before we go up and drink the wine and eat the bread. I'd heard it many, many times in my life before, but this time it was so clear and so awkward and demanding a message that I simply knew it was God speaking and saying, go and do exactly that. Uh, so I went and in a state of absolute embarrassment and shame, I wrote via Facebook to the people who I'd treated badly in my prodigal years and explained that God had told me to apologise and to make peace with them. Oh, the embarrassment and the shame of knowing how they'd probably show all their mates the message and laugh and say what a weirdo I was. And I nearly stopped myself doing it a million times. I nearly backtracked and let that moment just pass me by. It's just a mad moment and not a call from God and not something to be acted upon. Actually, every single person that I wrote to that day wrote back uh, to say how happy the message had made them and how good it was to not feel angry towards me and to be able to give forgiveness. There was a joy for them in being able to give forgiveness, a divine joy. God drove me to do what seemed like a humiliating and scary thing, but he gave me the strength to do it. And in doing it, I got the joy of sharing the gift of giving forgiveness, a true gift of God. And that's kind of how it is. God gives us the word to do scary things like share our wealth and tell people about the gospel and make peace with our enemies. But he also gives us the strength to endure any hardship that might come with it and the assurance that it's always for good. If we don't talk ourselves out of doing it, if we don't hesitate for too long, step back and back and back from the ledge. Mine might seem a very trivial example, but these things do build up as our relationship with God builds up through obedience and trust. God sent more my way the more that I obeyed. And I think we come to know the voice of God more clearly as we get used to listening to it and following it. Jesus started heading off started by heading off into the wilderness. In the end he headed off into hell itself and saved us all. If you trust God with a little mission that he's given you, 
He'll probably come back with something bigger. So Mark's account of the temptation of Christ might be very short. But I think it's all we need to know what to do in our own lives. Jesus was driven by God's Spirit into the baking hot wilderness for 40 days in the company of the king of lies and wild beasts. And the angels waited upon him in that time. I don't think we need to hear more than that. He's telling us simply that when God drives us to do the challenging things, he also provides us with the strength and the help that we need to do them. When he calls us to suffering, he stands by our side through it. When he asks us to give or act or to speak, he stays with us the whole time and gives and acts and speaks with us and through us. When our God calls us into the wilderness, he comes with us. I don't think it needs much more elaboration than that. So let us go into this week. And should we hear the voice of the Lord prompting us? Let us respond with immediacy. Let us respond in prayer and obedience to God and see where he sends us next. Amen. Oh,